We are in a, a study of Proverbs, selective scriptures, so turn to chapter four of Proverbs. That's where we're gonna pick up the, uh, the instruction there. How many of you were here last week when we started Proverbs? So there was one theme uh, last week in chapter nine. The wisdom writer Solomon implores us to see that wisdom is good. Come and get wisdom. That's what he says to the people of God. In fact, he took us through what I believe is a very clear salvific gospel call in chapter nine, um, and who would see it coming as, as Solomon presents God as this wonderful supplier of super abundant blessing. And he just simply says, Here, here's how you get it. Whoever is simple, admit your need, turn in here, leave your simple ways and fear the Lord. That kind of simple instruction is the gospel story. From cover to cover in the, in the scriptures, it implores sinners to come for grace from God himself. And so that is what Solomon told us last week. And so if you have a theme... Wisdom is good. This week, wisdom takes work, okay? And this is the part where we want to check out or kind of just say, I, I would rather have grace. Let me just give me that. I'm going to tell you the second half of wisdom. Wisdom means that we got to get busy and got to apply ourselves. It does require work. Um, before we dig in, though, let me ask you a couple questions, and then uh, we'll read it. Uh, I think this is kind of the way we set the tone for our morning. Uh, here would be a question, pretty obvious. How much do you really want wisdom? I know that's between you and the Holy Spirit. I know that's a kind of internal question, but you've got to seriously try to answer it right now because we're going to push into practical application today and you're going to feel the weight of the cost of that decision. If you want wisdom, it means. So just wrestle with this. How much do you want it? What are you willing to, to do to work for it? Here's the second um, question to set this up is, um, are you listening for you or somebody else? You know, like we always have, man, this sermon was so great for, I, I, this happened last week, I was walking out of the service and some person, I will not mention, looked at me and went, <laughs> I thought, that's, that's classic, man, this sermon, that person needs wisdom because they're an idiot. You, you, can't, you can't sit here today and listen to this thing with anyone else on your mind but you. You're missing the whole point of how the Holy Spirit works in preaching. A thousand people, a thousand sermons, his way. And so don't, don't think who this applies to or who needs to hear this. This is not somebody else's application. This is yours, okay? You, you okay with that? Okay, let's read it and then we'll pray. Get in our heads. We're gonna pick it up in verse 20. We'll read that paragraph, 20 to verse 27 of Proverbs 4. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for their life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vig vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let us pray. Let's pray for that in our hearts today. God, I do ask right now that you would, in your power, in your perfectness, in your love and affections for your people, that you would take these verses, this paragraph, and press it on us. 
if there's ever a time in a, in a culture that needs to see the practical nature of wisdom and its work, it's ours. We confess that, God. We confess that we sometimes want to run in other circles that aren't your circles. So just help us, God. Confront us the way you would and, and encourage us through the wonderful beauty of the gospel that we're fully yours, fully loved, and fully accepted, and fully empowered to live out your commands. I pray for your help this morning. Amen. Uh, you read these words, words just like all the other chapters that you would pick up in Proverbs, and you, it feels like you're picking up an old man's journal to a son, which in fact you sort of are. But, but I have to just encourage you, in, in spite of how warnings typically feel, instructions feel like, well, that's got to be for young people who are kind of more simple than I am. Uh, you, we can't treat it that way. We have to come to this with this point in mind. This is for us to be humble to hear. Everybody. I don't care what you think you know, and I'm certain you know more than me. I don't care how much you do, and I'm certain you do more than me. This is an instruction for God's people, so we would do well to heed it. So just, just to lay that on the text, look at verse 20. This is Solomon's imploring his son, so therefore us. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase puts it this way, tune your ears to my voice. In my garage, I have a radio from, my, I think it's 1952. It belonged to my grandfather. It was in his shop. And when you turn the knob, you got to wait like 15 seconds for the tubes to warm up before the radio starts to play. But when you kind of dial in this really awkward dial, eventually you get a station, okay? And I can hear no other stations. You tune it in, and it eliminates everybody else's voice. It's one voice. And that's the picture that Solomon presents here. Tune in my voice. This instruction, this wisdom, tune it in and shut all others out. That's what he's saying to his son, okay? And he tells him in verse 21, specifically, let them not escape from your sight, these words. Keep them within your heart. Again, this is, this is kind of Gene's idea, is, is, is hear this word, and look this word into your heart. You watch football, I'm assuming you do. I watch it a lot. Yesterday I saw so many drop passes. And the commentators would respond to their drop passes this way. He didn't look the ball in to his hands. Like he looked away to watch who was coming before he caught the ball. And so they would say, he needs to look it in. Well, that's exactly what Solomon said. Look the truth in. Hear my voice, tune everybody else out, and look the truth into your heart. Make sure you guide it to the right place. That's his point being very practical, before he actually opens his mouth about wisdom, he tells him what to do with wisdom. Heed it and look it into your heart. And here's why, he says, because they're life words. Verse 22, for their life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. That word life is a loaded word. In our world, it could just mean the minimum. You know, we would just kind of respond to it like, well, it's sustaining life, continued life, ongoing life. But that's not at all how Solomon uses it here. It's better understood as a prosperous life a vigorous life, a, a revive from sickness kind of living. This is what you want. This is the kind of life you go for. This is not just continuing to exist. This is everything you dreamed of. Uh, I love the kind of idea of revive from sickness kind of life because whenever you run into anybody who's gone through some sickness, let's say some real cataclysmic sickness, they've been diagnosed with cancer, they go through all the hellish treatments of, of chemotherapy and they come out of years of maybe surgery or whatever and they're pronounced well and clean and the look on their face and the attitude in their heart of how they want to engage the world, engage one another, it's just totally different. Their, their joy is real. It's right there. I can't believe it. They're grateful. That version 
is the version of life that Solomon has in mind when he says, if you get these words and you look them into your heart, your life won't just be average. It won't just be sustaining your life. It will be a vigorous life full of, full of joy, so ready to do something, so ready for other people. That's the picture he has in mind. And that's exactly sort of what he says in that second half of verse 22, and healing to all their flesh. Healing here means remedy and cure. It's not a mystery why Solomon would use this word. Because if you get this truth, if you own this truth in your heart, he suggests that it's the cure to what ails you. It's the remedy to your sin sickness. I don't know if you've ever thought about truth that way or wisdom that way, but I think about it after going through this text. I picture people like a room this size with this many stories probably has people in here who are feeling pretty rough right now, no doubt. There are people who are dealing with fear or anger or confusion or exhausted or frustrated. Whatever the might, it might be out there, you're, you're kind of under it because life has a way of breaking us down. Well, here's what God's worth promises us. So just listen. If you're into cause and effect, listen to the effect of the cause of God in your life. The reality is that he brings a reviving to your soul. Don't raise your hand, but are you under it? Is there any kind of pressure, disappointment, fear, anxiety, frustration in your life? Well, here's what Solomon promises to those who hear the truth and look it into their life, a reviving life. Like true life, what you want. A life so wonderful that it affects all those other anxieties. A cure, a remedy. So tune it in and look it in is his, his point. And it is a trustworthy word. This promise that he's making to us is as worthy and noble as every other promise you find in scripture. And it's backed by the character of God who never changes, right? So God is good and he never changes so you can count on his promise to give you a reviving life if you hear the truth and work it into your in your own heart. This is how big it is. This is just not ethereal thought that sits on a page, on a shelf somewhere in a journal, going, yeah, I know something somewhere. No, this truth changes the way you live your life. And when you live that way, there's a, a true effect to it. Here's now the very specific, practical instructions by Solomon to the people of God, to his son. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart. You have an imperative. You have a command. The father's not suggesting something. He's telling him to do something. Keep your heart. Keep, the word kind of has real some intensity to it. It's tenacious protection. You ever been tenacious about protecting anything? That's what he has in mind here. Keep your heart. Tenaciously protect your heart. You and I, when we hear the word heart, we in our culture have changed it from our minds to our feelings. It's a more emotional response, right? You know, you've broken my heart or, or I, I love you with all my heart and we make symbols about the heart, but that's not at all how the Jewish mindset understood this word, okay? For a Jew, this is interesting, just a side note, has no application to the sermon, but it's funny, to a, to a Jewish mind, feelings were connected to the stomach, just like every guy in the room, all right? Feelings, when you expressed how you felt, you would say, I love you with all my stomach, because isn't it true when you're feeling something, like if you ever had your heart broken, where do you feel it? <sighs> when you're longing for something, you feel it here. So they were just really practical. They connected one dot to another. I feel in my stomach. For them, the heart was something totally different. It was connected to the place of will and thought. It was used as a symbol of the inner spiritual aspect of a person. In essence, everything that you are is connected to your heart. Hebrew Dictionary. 
The heart is the spiritual aspect of a man. It's the mind of a man, the will of a man, the conscience of a man, the moral character of a man, the seat of his desires and passions, the seat of all this sense of courage, i.e., everything you are. That's his heart. Solomon says, protect that. Not how you feel. Protect everything that you think and every reason why you do what you do. Your character, protect it with all vigilance. We uh, now have a newborn hanging around our house and everywhere that baby goes, there's 10 pairs of eyes staring at it. Do you know what I'm saying? Set it on the couch. You just stare at it. Put it on the floor. You stare. It it couldn't fall, trip, stumble. No way. Too much protective eyesight. So if you picture the intensity of which you would stare at, care for a newborn, that's, that's the implication that Solomon puts on how we watch our heart. Kind of like a soldier standing post, you know, he's, he's scanning the horizon at, at dusk and he's looking for enemies that might come over the wall. He's like protecting himself and his brothers by watching for that. That's the picture he has in mind. I, I have a confession. I don't, uh, by nature, um, I get lazy with guarding my heart. And I read things and I see things that hurt my heart. I don't know if you can share that. I mean, I can't even, I, this is to be honest, I can't even, I'll tell you the truth. I deleted an application for news because the news was killing my heart. And, it, and news is like, who cares, right? It's in, we're indifferent to news. It's neutral. N- not to my heart, it wasn't. That's beyond all the other things that are coming my way. And and inviting those things in would be like inviting an enemy to sleep in the barracks. Like, come on in. Come over the wall. I'll open the door. Sit here. Sit here. Sit here and influence us. Do what you will. Now, I know you could say, well, Tim, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. I know. You don't have to tell me. I, I get it. Well, that's why we need what Solomon says here in real practical application. Protect your heart, church. Let me give you the whys real quick. Here's some whys because our heart is easy prey. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? If that is the condition of a heart, like it's wayward, it's just wayward. It wants to go to stupid things. If I choose not to protect it, guess what the waywardness of the heart will do? It will hurt me. And it'll hurt other people. Protect my heart because it's easy prey. Protect my heart because life comes from it. That's what he says in verse 23. Springs of life, he calls it, a satisfying life. And we all know what it's like to do just the opposite, right? The protected heart doesn't run off to do sin. The protected heart doesn't have to wake up the next day going, I regret that. I feel guilty. I have failed, I am defeated. The protected heart doesn't have those experiences. Here's why we guard our heart, because peace comes from a protected heart. Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard our hearts. Here's why we guard our hearts, because obedience comes from a protected heart. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the heart in the Hebrew understanding that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You want to live a good life? Guard your heart. You want obedience in your life? Guard your heart. Think clearly. Look it in. Own it. That's what he says. That's why. Let me, let me give you some hows. Let's get really down tangible, okay? How do you do this? Here's the first thing. Don't wait for second warnings. 
there's this wonderful thing the Holy Spirit does for all of us. It's called conviction. The Holy Spirit leans into me, does he not, to you? You know, you're ready to just go nuts, ready to lose your mind, ready to express yourself in sin, ready to satisfy yourself with pleasure, and the Holy Spirit says, don't. I don't know how loud the voice is. Maybe it's screaming sometimes, maybe it's a whisper sometimes, but he's saying something. Don't shut it off. Don't wait for a second warning. It might not come around because cataclysmic results could come about from it. I've got a truck, and I built a motor in the truck, and I put an oil gauge in that motor, so when I started it, I could see oil pressure, because without oil pressure, which is like the blood of a car, it blows up. And I watched that thing. I started it, and I watched that meter like a hawk. That's exactly the picture that's implied here. Don't wait for something else. Don't wait for a second warning. You want to protect your heart? Here's how. Don't protect it alone. Ask other people, what do you see, man? What do you see, brother? What do you see in my life? Where am I inconsistent? What am I missing? Where am I angry? Where am I selfish? Where don't I listen? Don't, don't protect it alone. Ask other people and make it a priority. In other words, no days off. There are no weekend, weekends for those who are protecting their hearts. You don't get a Friday and a Saturday off. Protect it and be tenacious about it and then preach the gospel to yourself every day. You know you've heard this before, but here's the part of the gospel. He's better. That's the part of the gospel. Do we get out of hell? Yes. Are our sins covered? Yes. Do we have life eternal? Yes. The greatest joy of conversion is we get Jesus. He's better than all other things competing with that voice. So tell yourself that story. When all these other voices want to tell you, go here, do that, be afraid, be angry. He's better. He's better. Does that help? Practical. Solomon goes on, verse 24. He says, put away from you crooked speech and put, and put devious talk far from you. The NIV puts it this way. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt, corrupt talk from your lips. Again, Eugene Peterson in the message, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Solomon, in other words, is commanding us to watch your tongue. My paraphrase is hold your tongue. Wisdom controls not only what you say, but how much you say. Hold your tongue, which, to be honest with you, is not popular. Let me, let me give you why you hold your tongue, okay? Because expressing yourself might be trendy and feel good, but it's biblically foolish. And, and you know, I don't do social media, but let me just punk it while I can. Um, I know social media didn't start this fire, but it brought the fire to the gas station. You know what I'm saying? 24-7, I can tell you what I think. I can feel out loud all the time. And so what do people do? They step into that with their big fat mouth and hurt the world. And I'm just suggesting to you, um, before you pop off expressing something you're emoting yourself through, at a minimum, it looks foolish. At a maximum, it's ungodly. Proverbs, again, about the mouth even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Proverbs 10, when words, of many, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 21, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. That should be motivation. Proverbs 15, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In other words, it's a, it's a waterfall of opinion. You know where that comes from? Arrogance. I got something to say, and I should be the one to say it. Let me give you the other reason why you should hold your tongue, because the tongue can do the most damage. That's what James implies in chapter three. 
When he says, do you see what a giant forest fire gets set ablaze by that little spark? Do you understand what your mouth can do? He describes it with really intense words. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. Welcome to your tongue. That's what he says about it. And ultimately, if we're trying to get what this whole book is about anyway, and we want wisdom, here's where we get wisdom. The text tells us, by listening. Listening. The posture of all the learning and godliness comes from people who listen. So, God, you know, Neil told me today the math, two ears, one mouth. Okay? For a reason. How do you hold your tongue? How about humility? How about walk humble? How about realize all the time what you are without God's grace? How about remember, like, Lord, I deserve the consequences of eternal punishment. If people only knew. I, I am just a recipient of what I didn't deserve. If you walk in that kind of humility, you'll see other people. Before judgment, you'll see them also as people who need God's grace. You'll hold your tongue. How about this? Don't overestimate the value of, of your own thoughts. You're probably wrong. A lot of times you might be. So just don't overestimate the value of them. Don't go, hey, they're super important. I got to get them out. Care more about understanding than being understood. Being more interested in others' well-being than your own. Those are real practical. That's why you hold your tongue. If others are the point, if others are the service and the mission, then your tongue goes in not only second, but way down the list of values. Again, Solomon's advice, verse 25, he moves on. Now you can see the flow. He's done the heart. He's done the speech. He's going to the eyes next. Look, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Again, Eugene Peterson, I love a phrase he uses, so I'm going to steal it. He says, keep your eyes straight ahead, ignore all sideshow distractions. The reason why I love that phrase is that we live in a world of sideshows, don't we? I mean, that's a great way to picture it. It's the silly tent at the circus. That's where we live now. So all the crazy things happen there. 24-hour news, everyone has something to say, something to show. We're told constantly what we can't live without, what will make us happy. Here's the alternative gospel. This is your good news. This is what you gotta have. Even the church hears that. Jesus and. I want Jesus and something else. And so it's honest, like all the time. You can't pick up anything, read anything, or see anything without it affecting us that way. And here's what Solomon says to his son. Divert your eyes. It's not like don't trip over these things. Focus your attention away from the left and away from the right and focus it in the right direction. Divert your eyes from the bad. And here's why. Simple answer. Because soul darkness comes to people with bad eyes. You know what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter six? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, if you're looking the wrong places, your body will be full of darkness. And in the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? You don't want, you don't want soul darkness. If someone described uh, people who won't divert their eyes as people who walk in death. Because the only thing the world or the system can do to us is darken the perspective of the heart. And life is just harder, difficult, walking in death. So we have to control our eyes, divert our eyes. It's interesting that this passage, Matthew 6, is stuck right between two very familiar texts that you know, where Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth, and you can't serve two masters. And right in the middle is this one about the eye. Why do you think that is? 
because sin is fueled by the eyes. This treasure thing, the master thing, is directly connected to these eyeballs. What influences me? What I see. Sin is fueled by the eyes. I can't live without this. Lust, lust of the flesh, things that I see make me angry. They make me worry. They make me divide from other people. That's what I see. That's what goes into my eyes if I'm not careful to control it. And so what happens to us if we don't divert our eyes? Pretty simple, darkness or sin. And Solomon simply says, look away. How can we do it? How can we divert our eyes in a culture of nothing but expression? How do you do it? Again, this might be a little bit too intense for you, but I'm just gonna say it and you'll have to sort it out later, I guess. But we live in a landscape that's just messed up. And I don't assume that we're ever gonna change it anytime soon. I am 56 years old, and I'm not depressing you. I'm just saying the obvious. Every time something happens, I go, it ain't getting better. I mean, everybody talks about the good old days, and, and, and maybe they'll come back around, do this, do that. This reminds me of. I, it just seems worse. Jesus is Lord, and everything's going to be fine. I'm not worried about it. But nevertheless, we have this landscape we live in, and you might not be able to change that landscape, but you can shut the windows. The influencers the access that these things have to, to your life. The amount of images, the amount of values that assault us are overwhelming. And it's coming at us from everywhere all the time. You might not be able to stop it out there, but you can maybe stop it from getting to you. I had somebody, I don't know where it was, so I can't even give them the credit, but somebody preaching a message on the purity of the eyes suggested that the smart device is a portable strip club. And when he said it, I thought, oh, that, well, that one works. You know, that dark private world that you can live in autonomy that nobody knows. Death images that go in and smash your heart. Well, that's true. And let me, since I'm on a, you know, roll, I guess I should just punk the whole world. Um, you know, the news world, the news and information thing, I found a guy who, who was just lamenting how it is and how it got there, and he, he started at Walter Cronkite. Does anybody know that guy? He was called at one time uh, America's most trusted man. And all he did five days a week for one half an hour was tell the news. Somehow the world fit into a half an hour. In 1980, CNN invented 24-hour news. And so now they had to take information that fit in a half an hour and spread it over 24 hours. And there wasn't enough news, so what they had to do was change how they did news to sensationalize the news and make stories. That's when you follow OJ around in a truck, okay? You just make it bigger. And it sells, and so Fox shows up, and MSNBC shows up, and on and on it shows up, and they all sensationalize the story, and we're addicted. We just keep watching and watching. They're not telling the news, they're telling us dramatized stories of the news. And we get minute by minute information. Well, that isn't enough. Somebody invented the internet, and now we have second by second information. And it's all right on us all the time. And now we have to go beyond sensationalizing stories. We have to go into opinions about sensationalized stories. And so now most of what you get is just people talking about their opinions. And so what happens to the world? We all pick our echo chambers to live in. Well, I like the way this guy talks. I like the way he sees this world. He will represent me. And the church has made the mistake of letting it do the talking. And I'm just telling you, you want to divert your eyes clearly? Then sort out where you go for your hope. Sort out what gets into your heart and affects your fears. Don't let the noise hit in. If you're really going to walk in wisdom, don't walk in the echo chambers. Make sense? I told you I would get uncomfortable. How do you shut the windows? 
That's, that's one of the ways. The wisest man who ever lived, God's mouth, not mine. Solomon tells his son, who ultimately tells us, avoid the sideshows. There's nothing to see here. I love that. One last thought. Chapter 4, verses 26 to 27. Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Again, Eugene Peterson, watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither to the right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. (laughs) The word ponder means to make level the path. Like sort out how to make the path be smooth for you is the, is the point of his instruction. And so Solomon says, walk on level ground. Why? It's obvious. So that you don't what? Fall. Walk level and you won't fall down. Now, let me just make 27 super, super clear here. Solomon's command to not swerve is not him saying don't stumble. People stumble. Here's what his command is. Solomon says, don't, don't do this. If, if swerving in, in his mind isn't tripping over things you don't see coming, swerving in his mind is a willful change of direction. So don't go left or right. Don't make the decision to go off and do evil. Don't sin. So how do you walk straight? We sang a song, a new song. Did you see a phrase in there? Probably was familiar if you like old hymns. Because come thou fount of every blessing has this line in there. It's the one I always lean into. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's true, isn't it? Like we can have a great day today. We can worship, we can hear the word, we love each other, go home and prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. So how do you walk straight? Admit it. Admit your inclination to wander. Again, this comes back to the theme of humility. Admit, Lord, without you holding me up, I go down. Without you directing my path, I go left, I go right. Lord, I am so prone to give it up and walk away. That's who I am without help, so admit it. Walking on level ground, according to Solomon, requires removing obstacles. So what makes you stumble seems to be a practical question. What is it? You know, if you, if you had no sight and you were in your home, you would probably set up your home in such a way you wouldn't trip, Right? So what are the obstacles, church? What are they? And when I say that, here's what I know, because I'm trying to apply this to my own heart. I know exactly what some of them are right now. Do you have the guts to remove them? Or are you just going to say, well, that's kind of the way it is. That's what everybody does. I'm not different. Can you move the obstacles? And then here's one last one, and then we're done I want you to realize that walking straight is about the destination, not the walking. In in other words, King Jesus is the prize of this walking. Our Lord and Savior is truly where joy is found exclusively. He is better than the left and the right. The gospel is good news not because of what it gets me, although it gets me many things. The gospel is good news because of who it gets me. I I was made in the image of my creator. I am separated by my sin. The only hope I have to be back in line with my heart's affections is to have Jesus die in my place. The prize of all of this is him. That's the good news. Does that make sense? So if if you want to walk wise and hang in there a long time, realize that walking isn't the point. The destination is the point. Make sense? We need help, right?
Let's ask for God's help. Lord, I do pray for my heart. Sometimes I I look at texts like this and see myself as the failure in every one of them, but I do pray for us, your church, the people who love you, who you love first, that God, wisdom would be something that is so valuable to us, so beautiful to us, because it is your benevolent kindness to us that we would want to walk in it and guard it and love it. So many practical things, Lord, that we can think about, strive to, to see happen, but we understand without the power of the Holy Spirit living mightily within us, there's no shot. So we ask that your spirit would superabound in all that we say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.